Hello and welcome to 15 Minute Medicine, where we try to make medicine as simple as possible, but not simpler than that. I'm your host for today, Nick, and I'm joined by my two fellow co-hosts, Farai and Defossa. Gentlemen, how are we doing this morning? No complaints, no complaints, all good. I'm doing all right, thanks, Nick. How are you doing? All is well, this side as well. Thank you guys for joining us today. Um, we're continuing with our Black Mirror series, so to speak, an idea brought forward by one of the founding members of the group. And my scenario or my episode today kicks off maybe one to two months down the line. Um, and for context, this episode was recording, recorded during the COVID-19 pandemic that is gripping the world by the neck. So my analogy and episode kicks off two to three months down the line from this point at the moment. I'd like to take you guys on a journey. It's in June in the year 2020. The COVID-19 pandemic still has the world on its knees, scrambling to find a solution, but nothing is working. At the end of the day, many different scenarios have been tried. Many different options have been thought about and applied, none of which are yielding any positive results. So as a last gasp attempt, physicians, surgeons, medical personnel along and across the world appeal to the technology giants, Google, Apple, Microsoft, to find a way to develop an app that is capable of drawing data from all who decide to partake in this international and first-of-its-kind study. The aim of the study is to try and develop or try and develop data with regards to who has developed symptoms and is perishing because of the virus and those who have developed what in medical terms is herd immunity. So basically those who have developed or who have caught the virus and aren't displaying any symptoms or are displaying very mild symptoms and in in an attempt basically to try and identify safe areas or study groups of individuals who have managed to contract the virus but aren't showing any symptoms. Your thoughts, gentlemen? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I think, yeah, that's a good idea. Why not? Wait, you said those that have developed herd immunity. Yes, so basically the people who have contracted the virus but aren't showing any symptoms. So that have developed immunity. Yes, immunity. So immunity to the virus, yes. Okay. So you, yeah, essentially, you just plan to find out what are the characteristics, whether it's genes or previous immunizations that have led to someone becoming immune against coronavirus. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm with it. I just have a question. Is this like the people who are asymptomatic but can still spread it? Or these people have had it or had very mild disease and now clear of COVID, but obviously now have underlying immunity because they've cleared it. And then now using those people and what their characteristics are. So the aim of the study in this instance is to try and find, so to to try and find and isolate individuals who have been infected by the disease, but aren't showing any symptoms more than, you know, the milder symptoms of a scratchy throat and a cough. So no one who's required hospital admission. It's basically those who have tested positive for the disease but aren't symptomatic. So they can obviously then spread the disease, but um, they're not showing any signs of infection themselves. Okay. I think that seems like a fair, like, you know, 
model or like method. Yeah, I think, yeah, let's hear more about it. That's also 80% of the population currently, or 80% of the infected population currently that develop mild symptoms. Absolutely. I don't disagree. So it's, would it not be more looking at what are the characteristics of those people that are developing severe symptoms? Because those are the minority. So the goal and end game of this app is to gather data, basically, and see what level of quarantining or if any level of quarantining needs to be taking place. For example, mm-hmm. or not for example, so we're working on the, on the premise of like Facebook's check-in system. You understand? So yeah. if six or seven people are gathered in, I don't know, in Moikluf, for example, and of those six or seven people, the total population, like of this, they're saying that the six and seven people, six or seven people are the total population of Moikluf, right? How many of those six or seven people have tested positive and how many of the ones who have tested positive have severe disease. So if all seven or all six, whatever, if all seven of them have tested positive, right, and all seven of them aren't displaying signs of severe disease, then there's in essence no reason for Moikluf to be under lockdown. Mm, okay. You get what I'm saying? So yeah. trying to identify demographics and areas where lockdown is essentially non-essential. So if I'm getting you right, let's say, for example, just to make it a bit broader, let's say Randburg and Johannesburg, like let's say 90% of the people there who are infected have mild disease. So as in to say that maybe they don't need a, a strict a lockdown as let's say Mitchell's Plain in Cape Town where like half the population or like 70% are like hospitalized. Correct. Okay. But then wouldn't that also put even though those people, let's say in Randburg, are like have mild disease, they can still infect other people, and won't they like be at risk of infecting someone who doesn't have their characteristics that are making them mild or not as sick as the one who's going to need intubation, like you know, and hospitalization? It's very, very possible, but I'm sort of working on the premise that has been wi- widely shown by statistics in that there's a there's a specific demographic of an older population who is more an older population with more comorbidities who's more susceptible to severe disease versus a younger healthier population who don't usually contract or who haven't been shown to contract a severe disease okay fair enough so are those people still need to obviously stay at home and as much as possible yes so the older at risk or older more at risk or seemingly more at risk population would still have to take their own precautions. It's more to build a database and sort of correlate the numbers on a on a global scale across multiple countries and multiple continents, therefore, to see is this notion that um the older population group is more at risk actually true or is there are there other factors that may be hindering the younger population from showing showing true symptoms or having to actually need hospital admission? All right, I hear you. Sure. So fast forward maybe a week after the fact, as sort of a last-ditch humanitarian effort, millions, billions of individuals have taken it upon themselves to participate in this mass study with from the old to the young, I mean, middle-aged, working class, non-working class, managing to somehow 
sort of alert and check in, so to say, to say that they are ace or they have been tested positive and are not displaying symptoms. And or obviously then the opposite side of the scale is that an older older people, as perceived by the by the global numbers at the moment, are checking in, are displaying symptoms and are heavily needing hospital admission. So weeks go by, days go by, multiple more individuals are busy checking in, saying they either do or don't have severe disease. Um, and eventually across the across the globe, we're starting to develop to develop a greater global picture, area per area, country per country, continent per continent, who is developing severe disease and which areas may need harsher and more stringent lockdown as compared to other areas. So as we keep going through and the study is being correlated and amalgamated, it shows that there has been some, how can I put this, some idea, some sort of immunity or some sort of um, the younger population or the, or the, the are suffering less from this disease and the older population are maybe taking a bigger hit. But what I was saying is that the technology is working. We're getting a better picture and number globally that we're being able to use to shut down certain areas and to maybe open up certain areas. So initially, like I was saying, that the the population data starts to show that indeed it is an older population that is more at risk or an older population with more comorbidities that are more at risk um, who are developing the severe disease. So taking another month or so into that, millions of lives have obviously been lost from the coronavirus. And we're starting to do post-mortem and trying to figure out what exactly it is that sets these people apart, whether it is just the older comorbidities or whether um, there's something deeper to the fact. But after looking deeper into the data, so after a month or so of data collection, we start to realize that younger, younger individuals who initially signaled that they are suffering from, or not rather not suffering from um, severe disease, seem to be starting to alerting authorities that although they initially displayed mild to no symptoms at all, they're now starting to suffer from disease or aspects of the disease that maybe were not previously identified. So as we start going on in time, the older people who developed the disease have passed on, but the younger people who initially said they had mild to no symptoms are starting to be filling the hospitals, starting to fill ICUs, and they become the at-risk disease or the, the at-risk the at um, disease population. So eventually the study takes a turn and is abandoned because now areas that have been identified as low risk are now becoming high risk. The hospital burden is taking, is is unbelievable. Younger patients are starting to flood the hospital. The older population has already passed on because of this disease. And scientists then isolate a different strand or different Oh yeah, different mutation of the COVID-19 disease. One that is a higher, higher sort of pathogenicity in the sense that the younger population who initially were continuing with their day-to-day -day lives as if nothing were happening or as if a stronger lockdown wasn't, wasn't needed at all are now starting to develop these respiratory symptoms and are being admitted to ICUs and being admitted to high care units because over time, this disease that we've allowed to basically circulate amongst the group that was previously deemed to be not at risk 
has now started to develop to develop symptoms and essentially disease because of the fact that the disease was allowed to mutate and grow and change in a way that we never ever could have i mean identified or prepared for without having said there is a lockdown there isn't a lockdown so in the end this app that initially was such a good idea in allowing different areas of society to continue functioning has now become an incubator allowing healthy individuals who thought they were a okay to have this mutated disease that is ravaging through the youth ravaging through the middle aged and is now taking lives day by day hour by hour and the covid pandemic is stronger than it was before yeah sounds like your seemingly great innovation by google and other great tech companies has essentially wiped out basically you could say wiped out the world because i mean now you don't have a young population that's going to boom um you know but who knows it will just create another a new like industrial revolution so to say because now it's going to be like let's say for example post world war 2 like the baby boomers generation like the rapid growth that took place in that period but hectic man you just wiped out the world and all the young people <laughs> really young. did for so the more i think about it the more i can see how realistic of a situation it is why i say that is because without a collaborative effort on behalf of members of society involved in healthcare and let's say the tech community if people work in silos then you have these misguided efforts so now google and microsoft okay I'm, stop, I'm gonna stop mentioning them by name because <laughs> we're gonna get sued very soon but if they continue to make all these efforts that their technology allows they have a great potential to do a lot of good but there right. are fundamental principles that need to be followed when designing things that are to aid healthcare so in this case although initially what the the innovation seems quite straightforward just getting their um people's health information but also it was a snapshot in time which seems like a good idea but the problem comes in that at this stage with covid-19 it's like it was named initially it was novel coronavirus we don't know exactly what potential the the disease has and what its the potential cause is exactly although there are people that have recovered this is now in the course of maybe the past 4-5 months top was yeah because it only came to the forefront in late 2019 so we don't know if this if SARS, if SARS-CoV-2 has the potential to have a latent period and i think that's i'm i don't know if i'm speaking on behalf of what you're thinking but in this young population perhaps although they weren't getting sick or they're having mild symptoms that could have been the latent period ways later when it becomes active when all the old people are out of the picture or when these people become elderly or develop some other sickness that decreases their immunity that's when they become seriously at risk whereas if you now speak to someone who's working in the tech field they're not going to really they, it's easy enough to read but right now they think of the now and not about long term health solutions just trying to solve this problem once and for all 
So if there's not a collaborative effort between the tech community and healthcare, then you will have mistakes like that being made. Yeah, so I think you both sort of hit the nail on the head in terms of what I was trying to go for. The, the premise was that there was this need for a worldwide effort and a worldwide intervention, which initially started to show signs of prospect and that the economies could keep going and moving forward. Um, High-risk and low-risk areas could be identified. People could effectively keep going on with their lives. But because this is, like you said, for a novel coronavirus, we don't know what the long-term effects are, what the short-term effects are obviously obvious to us, but we don't know that someone who has had the had the virus and had mild symptoms won't be 60, 70 years down the line sitting with, um, you know, jelly for lungs, if I can speak so um, colloquially. So I think the, the idea is that at the moment, all we have is self-isolation. And because we don't know what the virus will look like or what the effects of the virus will look like in 20, 30, 40 years, all we can do is try and flatten the curve and give our health systems the best possible chance at managing the severe cases when that time comes. Closing thoughts and comments? I also think that um, just to think about it, like going back, it will also be very difficult to have miniature lockdowns within specific geographic areas because like, society isn't just like, all the old people or elderly are in this particular area and then the younger people are here. It's more of a, like, you can have multi-generational households where, like, your great-grand and your grand, your parents are all in the same house, so maybe plus minus an elderly aunt or uncle. Now, like, how do you, like, split the two? Maybe one of them gets positive, then there's a young person who's positive and an old who isn't. And then just the little logistics thereof and isolating those people so in a sense it kind of like makes sense to just because logistically it's too it might be too difficult to have miniature lockdowns in specific areas you know um versus more blanketed restrictions but all in all like as you've said like we don't know exactly the nature of this virus like to its full extent you know like Things like TB, HIV, like we have a pretty great understanding now, like over many decades of how it affects, you know, people and like yeah. its life cycle and what factors push its uh, mutations. But we don't really have much information about the coronavirus at this present time. So it's very difficult to try and put interventions in place. But at the same time, it's also difficult to try to do nothing because sometimes you learn from the mistakes and make interventions better. If you don't try and like make any intervention, then you won't know what works and what doesn't. So you have to find that kind of middle ground. Yeah, I agree. You have to find that middle ground of balancing human life in, in the sense of taking the risk to try and find something that works and balancing human life in the sense of not doing anything at all and, you know, watching those who die, die. Yeah. I agree with the last sentiment that of course I shared that you it's very important that you do something. I think although it might be safer in a sense to rather hold on and see what's going on, I think that you're going to in the in the case of uh COVID nineteen pandemic, you need to do something and if there are mistakes, 
obviously don't go and do the most risky the things that are the most risky but you need to do something you need to start taking steps to make a difference and the way that you make sure that's not risky is collaborating with people that are more knowledgeable or in different fields not necessarily just in medicine but if that means that now you need to go and find a tech solution then speaking to people that have more experience in that sure thank you friends for this wonderful opportunity and for the podcast thank you to the listeners for tuning in be sure to um, definitely give us some feedback with regards to what you think of the episode and the, the channel and platform in general be sure to subscribe to our various podcasting options thank you for listening to today's episode of 15 minute medicine we try to make medicine as simple as possible but not simpler than that 